Uh, as well make this a time <laughs> capsule, Gabe. We, uh, hey, you know what's really exciting is that I haven't seen you in 64 days in real life, and we've put this whole podcast on pause for yeah. that whole time. Yeah. I mean, Lots happened eat. since then. A lot, of, a lot of stuff has happened. I saw you briefly to pick up the microphone, but I was, uh, I had, I was just like, I had fish in my bag, and I was like, man. And then I just saw a bunch of people without masks, and I was like, fuck this. <laughs> fucking gully ass yeah, section two, of Greenpoint. Two reasons to uh, to be in a, a hasty retreat. Yeah, the, just uh, like not tilapia <laughs> at room temperature in a paper bag and uh, barefaced lunatics. Bare, barefaced uh, Eastern out here t- cats. Yeah, just talking loud in the streets. Mm-hmm. So uh, exactly, you live you live like five blocks away from me, and we yeah. we have been quarantined up. Yep. Um, in our on our own little islands that's life but you've been you've had a a cool little project going in the meantime yeah so uh, it's like it's going well you have several projects tied into one well eat pray judge has been on hiatus Uh, luckily we're back thank allah we uh i've been doing some (laughs) other podcasting the next binge thing with amber who's been a frequent guest on our show she has been and anybody who's been a longtime listener of this show knows that we we were engaged and um you know, sometimes things don't work out <laughs> about three yeah. weeks before this this whole thing started. Uh, we decided to call it a quits yep. and we were still living together mm-hmm. when um, when the the black death rolled in over the city and shut us down. Yeah, I feel like you guys might have this uh, listenership that's got you got this like Sam and Diane, uh, Bruce Willis and uh, <laughs> Sybil Shepard, will they or won't they type thing happening. Yeah, and I, I think that the short answer of that is uh, we won't. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like gives both of you time to work on your body here. Apparently, <laughs> you figure that out. Yeah, we're both uh, we're both enjoying ourselves, and <laughs> yeah, uh, I I was wondering if you can um, if you have a record feature down mm. below on uh, your re- end. Um, it's okay if you don't because I do. Yeah. Please, oh wow! Uh, request record permission for that. So I have to request permission from you to to, to get that Interesting. going. Interesting. I think I record both, but uh, why don't we? Why don't you press record? Oh, you need permission from me. Uh, yeah. Yep. But it does say that it is recording, so it's probably. But yeah, I mean, oh, if, then, you get a, if if you get a prompt, mm-hmm. then we're good. But it does say it's recording. Yeah. Then I think we're fine. We're all Great. good. Fantastic. So let me just see. At five minutes, I'll cut that out. Okay. Um, so yeah, uh, life, life is good over in my, the Pacheco wing of my apartment in Greenpoint, Brooklyn. And Amber is planning to, uh, go on a road trip. She rented an RV and she's going to leave here and go to LA and just live there, uh, July 1st. Okay. I didn't realize that that, that's coming up pretty soon. Pretty soon. But yeah, I think I think we waited until the weather got better and um, fingers crossed the economy's gonna open back up and hopefully there won't be a second wave until after she's safely on the other side of the country. Yeah, that's uh that's the goal. I'm not I don't really give a shit if the economy opens back up at this point. Sure. Not, no, I don't I'm, care <laughs> at all. <laughs> yeah, fucking I, I can I I'd rather just uh have it freeze for another year and a half, get an MBA and not fucking care about any of this shit anymore. Also, it's probably gonna prompt certain people to not get reelected. Uh <laughs> either that or a bunch of uh, you know, red staters start passing away, which would be uh doomsday for everybody. 
Yeah, yeah. I'm not. I'm not condoning that. But I'm just saying that could be a byproduct of these idiots rushing everything back for their own political benefits. Right. No. Absolutely. One hundred percent. We're going to have a second wave, and the reason that I think yeah. that is because uh, we science? don't have any of the things that would stop that from <laughs> because of science. Yeah. yeah. Right. No vaccines. Uh, no. Uh, no. No more face masks. No. No tests. Really, like we're in the epicenter in Brooklyn, and it's still very difficult to get a test. Uh, it is, yeah. Um, I think it's easier to get an antibody test, which I'm pretty sure, yeah, I don't know. We'll see what happens there, but yeah, I mean, I, I don't think much has changed. People are becoming a bit more cavalier about it, and that's kind of, kind of to be expected. Uh, it kind of happened at the worst time for everyone because everyone's been cooped up, uh, especially as far as the Northeast and Midwest, uh, and you know. The doldrums of winter and now we're getting a crack at nice weather and people are fucking freaking out <laughs> yeah like dogs in a on a car trip yeah everyone's uh every all the mammals are in heat yeah. and uh it's very hard to override our primal like uh instincts to go yeah. outside it's natural and, uh, and frolic barefaced Mm -hmm. yeah. so there's a false sense of security brought on by the sunny weather like every time i look out the window it looks like the sun is just smiling at me and all the trees are blowing and waving at me yeah. in the wind like come on out come hither buddy it's basically like, just like the, the snake in the garden of eden at this point <laughs> uh so i'm i'm really excited about today's episode sam because Alrighty. we have been um we've been talking about this movie for a while and i've hesitated watching it because it I thought it was ubiquitous. I thought that mm -hmm. everyone in the world had seen Back to the Future yeah. Part 1. And when you nope. told me that you hadn't seen it, I was like, were you homeschooled? You uh, know, I was not. Were, no. <laughs> were you in a coma in 1985? Uh, or um, did you live with missionaries in Gambia? Um, none of the above. I don't know why. It never appealed to me. I think I saw parts of it at one point. It was, I don't know why. For some reason, I just didn't care. It's one of those movies... Uh, I'll applaud myself on the ones that I have seen. I don't, I, I, you know, even after watching it this time around, it's like, I don't, uh, I, I don't know. <laughs> what was I, what yeah. was I missing? Well, they were, um, it came out in 1985 and mm -hmm. I was definitely alive at this time. Um, mm -hmm. I was listening to a lot of Sade, Smooth Operator. You were listening to a lot of Sade at eight years old. Well, yeah, I was, I was grown and sexy already, you know. Uh -huh. Wow. Uh, my my family was a quiet storm family, a bunch of bureaucrats in uh, in Washington D.C. So mm -hmm. this was the this was the music of the office. Ah, uh, gotcha. And uh, Sade, and also I was listening to a lot of Tina Turner. What's love got to do with it was my first jam that I fell mm -hmm. in love with. But this was Tina Turner's hit. We don't need another hero from the Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome soundtrack was right, lasting. Was in she also starred in that movie or co-starred in it, right? Yeah, she's the main antagonist in right. uh, Beyond Thunderdome. That's the corniest of the Mad Max movies, unfortunately. That's, I don't I think yeah, it looked like American Gladiators, I think. Or, <laughs> or that uh, that Dr. Dre and uh, Tupac video. <laughs> Which was a really corny video too, that California Love video. That's that's Ooh. what it was, yeah. Um <laughs> <laughs> that's an, another one if you you know i didn't see that all the way through so we could definitely <laughs> review that at some point i think I, I remember when we were we posted the uh you know the question on whether we should record number two or you know whether we should watch and, and uh and record an episode on back to the future two or one um i got a lot of interesting feedback when i posted it to my page 
And my yeah. cousin was like, how have you not seen one? And he's like, I can't really talk to you anymore. And I was like, why has this <laughs> got such a fucking visceral reaction from people? <laughs> yeah, yeah he was still, like- I'm still, I'm still in the dark here. He's like, were you one of the kids that survived the Waco, the Waco uh, compound, like massacre? <laughs> sure. How did you not see this? And this is a kid whose dad worked for National Geographic and was stationed in Saudi Arabia for the better part of the 80s. So I think any part of uh, American nostalgia or any pop culture was uh, worth its weight in gold back then to him. Yeah, so this is one of those films that I think lived its first life in the box office as a number one hit of 1985. It was the number one. Yeah, it just kept going though with um, VHS and mm-hmm. I think that's, in fact, how I first saw it was on VHS, not in the movie theater. Mm-hmm. My aunt and uncle, sure. they got a VHS player before my parents. And that Christmas, they made me a bootleg copy of Star Wars, uh, Empire Strikes Back, and mm-hmm. Back to the Future on yeah. one of those five-hour cassettes. I mean, it turned out to be a, a monster hit. It was like a $19 million budget. Um, you know, at that point, its biggest star was... I mean, that's kind of, I guess the up and coming star would have been Michael J. Fox as he was still doing his, uh, his best uh, preteen Reagan impression <laughs> uh, as Michael P. Keaton on Family Ties and, uh, and Christopher Lloyd, you know, from Taxi, which was a, a, a huge, uh, you know, television hit. Um, but yeah, $19 million budget ended up making, you know, almost 12 million in its first weekend, 388 million accumulate like you know that's a that's a monster hit it's a that's a massive success as far as anything's concerned so yeah number yeah. one number one movie of 1985 um one thing uh i thought was pretty cool about it was that the uh the, you know the the producer and the uh director own all the rights um so in a, you know in a 25 2015 interview they said that no one would ever uh, be authorized to make another remake of any of these films so that's that's kind of cool wow that. yeah they just like poured gasoline all over that gold mine yeah because lord knows uh with the current hollywood climate uh somebody's probably tried to make a reboot and uh not been allowed so good good for you for keeping some sort of artistic integrity uh i forgot how big michael j fox was during this time you know he star huge star and uh, transitioning from tv with uh family ties where he Mm -hmm. was the breakout star of that they didn't think that he was going to be um, the person that people gravitated towards the most. Yeah, and apparently he was uh, the first one to be cast, or the, you know, the, their number one pick. And uh, he, uh, Meredith Baxter Burney, who played his uh, uh, far left wing uh, mom. Great uh, name, Meredith right. Baxter Burney. Right, you might know her from like Oxygen film uh, <laughs> uh, limited time series. Uh, she was pregnant. Uh, so there was a lot, he had to carry the show for that part and they couldn't spare him. And then, uh, when she came back, uh, they had initially tried to get Eric Stoltz on board to play, uh, Marty McFly. And, uh, about a month into filming, they just didn't think it worked. And Eric Stoltz agreed, uh, coming off of his smash hit uh, work on mask. Um, oh, where he, where he hooks up with Cher. He's yeah. the elephant man, but he That's hooks right. up with Cher. That's awesome. I thought, I thought Cher was his mom. Oh, what? Oh, Okay. <laughs> Yeah, I think that was the case. <laughs> that makes it even. I don't think there was any hooking here. up between somebody with develop, like deformed of disabilities, uh, and a minor at that. Well, sure. <laughs> the Epstein produced Elephant Man. <laughs> I just uh, remember being bummed out walking through adults' living rooms with a uh, mask playing on HBO. Yeah. I would just see the scene of Eric Stoltz wearing the uh, prosthetic face and mm. be like, "Hard pass. I gotta leave this room before yeah. I, I'm I'm bummed out and can't eat dinner." Not fun to watch uh, yeah. at all. 
Um, Sad movie. It's true. Uh, 85 marked Tim, uh, Tim Burton's directorial debut and Danny Elfman's film scoring debut. Same film, Pee-wee's Big Adventure, one of my favorites of all time. Oh, I'm going to put yeah. in a little petition that we have to, I, I'm actually shocked that we have not done that um, yet. And I think that that's something we should do uh, very soon. Sure, sure, sure. Well, now, now that we've got this Zoom set up, this mm-hmm. podcast brought to you today by Zoom. Yep, and Bar- Bartles well, uh... and James. <laughs> <laughs> and Michael we... Jordan for Rayovac batteries and ballpark pranks. <laughs> we want to stay on some 1985 shit. We'll be, uh, we'll be, yeah, yeah, 1985. Mm-hmm. So many uh, whack products like Diet Pepsi and Tab. New Coke was released, 85. Why? Yeah. Who knows? Did they, you know what's crazy <laughs> is they released in 85, probably sold 30 cans, and they didn't stop production until 2002. <laughs> so I used to go to my, my grandparents had this house in Wyoming, and it was a time capsule because they'd only go there like every two or three years with me. And like, so if I showed up, the last time I would have been there was mm-hmm. like, I went there in 80, 88, maybe 89. And the, the time before that was 85. So mm. we still had new Coke in the fridge, like a decade after new Coke was sure. a thing. There were, there were collector's items at that point. Yeah, at that point, totally. Only, only 400 million made. <laughs> um, what, okay. Uh, okay, so, so oh, I'm one really, last, tell one me, last go thing. for it. This is interesting. Uh, the plastic thingies that uh, separate your box from your pizza during delivery and takeout were invented uh, by Carmen Vitali. They have his patent number, and it actually says the plastic thingy. They have no real name for it. I love that. And, of course, the guy's name was Carmen Vitale. Probably Neil Williamsburg. (laughs) His pizza joint got shut down for money laundering shortly thereafter. It's a little plastic thing. Yeah, just uh, keeps the cheese from the cardboard. I drew a little sketch of it. I sent it to my friends in China. They started making a bunch of them. Forget about it. It's like a, a pizza widget. That's actually what it should be called. The pizza widget. The come pizza to me, widget. guys. Come to there me, you guys. Go. I'll, help, I'll help you brand your products. Branding. All right. Uh, I'm just curious. So yep. because you've seen this for the first time, what were mm. your... I, I have so much nostalgia towards this movie that it's hard sure. to um, you know, well, split my emotional attachment to it from how objectively good or bad it is. What mm. was your opinion or impression uh, of the movie watching it with uh, 2020 vision yeah um man it's it's like it, it's such a you know the the quintessential american movie in my opinion you know it's got everything from uh <laughs> it's got racial tension terrorism sexual assault uh a, a, a white <laughs> utopian uh town <laughs> where the only problems uh that exist are the ones you create for yourself <laughs> uh you know, brown shaming, black shaming, <laughs> uh, I lo- bully- bullying. <laughs> uh, I got to say, none of those are, right, those just washed over me like water as mm-hmm. a little kid. Like a and... warm Epsom salt bath. <laughs> yeah, those are not the first things that come to mind for me. I okay. think of a rock and roll, skateboarding, and uh, mad scientists. Mm-hmm. That's that's what I remember from watching this in the eighties. See, that's a child's guys, you know. <laughs> right, and as an adult, it gets heavy. <laughs> you have to get you have to get a little. You get you get more woker. Yeah, as time passes, I guess. Yeah, you're like what uranium? Yeah, plutonium. <laughs> I don't uh, yellow cake. 
<laughs> that's all that I think of. Every time they said plutonium, that's the first thing that popped into my head. They're like, uh, how come everybody that parked in this Twin Pines mall got bone cancer? <laughs> Every, everyone's uh, <laughs> a different, different world back then. Uh, Peeping Tom was an adorable colloquialism for uh, sexual predator. That's cool. <laughs> it takes some of the heat, the stink off that situation. Yeah, they played a lot of heavy topics. For, yeah, this uh, is actually, this is great because we're going to have such differing opinions on this. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, so I, uh, when I was little and I watched this, I thought Marty McFly was so cool, mm -hmm. you know, uh, again, because he, he had the skateboard and he also played guitar. And I thought it was so cool that he, he played guitar well and could rock out with a band mm -hmm. and watching him. And also Michael J. Fox was a beast. He was a beast at being able to act as a nerd or act as a, with like swag and confidence. He could switch from one to the other really quickly. Um, unconventionally. Yeah, he was a pretty, uh, pretty solid range for, for you know, what he was. Um, yeah, unconventional leading man. And I feel like his career got true. cut short because the, he got uh, uh, diagnosed with Parkinson's disease at 29 years old That's in crazy. 1991. So he was, was like ju really just starting to, yeah. uh, to take off. I didn't realize he's only 29 that's uh that's tough yeah and three other people who were on this this uh children's show with him in canada also uh came down with parkinson's disease so really? there's this idea that maybe there were some environmental conditions on Blood the set paint? yeah that's crazy because that's like you know just so out of the ordinary that you would that you would know three other people yeah, from childhood they, in acting that would get Parkinson's disease. Yeah, how have they not delved further into that or tried to figure that out? That seems, that's, uh, that's probably never happened uh, anywhere else in history, that disease, <laughs> like honestly. Right, right, That's right. crazy. And he, did, but, he did a couple of, uh, what else did he do? Casualties of War with Sean Penn. You know, when he tried to, a uh, little war drama, Vietnam War yeah. pick. I don't think it was that Se well received. <laughs> uh, Secrets of My Success. Uh-huh. Doc Hollywood. Doc Hollywood. What uh, else? Teen Wolf. That was that was Teen Wolf. I saw uh, a number of times. That was my. That was probably my favorite Michael J. Fox vehicle. I mean, I also did enjoy Family Ties quite a bit. Yeah, those were definitely all parts of my childhood. He was. Yeah. He was. He was out there in f uh, making films for my demographic mm -hmm. and TV shows the latchkey kids watching family ties yeah. every night. <laughs> right. And uh, same thing with uh, Christopher Lloyd, who plays Doc Brown in this. Mm -hmm. I watch Taxi and Syndication um, every night on, I think, Channel 50 in DC. That makes sense. I think yeah. it was, was it off the air by that time? It had to. I think it was late 70s, early 80s, maybe, or even yeah, like I think the it, 80s uh, as well. It was like 77, maybe to 83. So mm -hmm. it was definitely, it was done. But throughout the 80s, it was on syndication. It's crazy back then how many uh, actors on these, uh, you know, historically well-known and popular sitcoms actually bridged the gap and, and had actually successful dramatic film careers after appearing in comedies. That doesn't happen as much these days. You know, the cast of Friends and Seinfeld, like they, they're not doing, I mean, they're not serious actors. <laughs> at, at best you end up like uh jennifer aniston you know interesting yeah so I, like I feel Hollywood like career 
I think uh, now I think more film actors are moving into TV because of pres- prestige television. Well, yeah, the writing is better. The character development's better. Um, yeah, but I mean, like you look at Cheers, like Ted Danson did a good job of, of, of going both go both ways with dramatic roles. Woody Harrelson. Um, yeah. Named both the Cheers guys. I mean, obviously the, the, <laughs> the crew from, from Taxi. Danny DeVito's had an interesting career. Who else? Yeah. Andy Kaufman. No one from Night Court made that made that transition. Yeah, that was another show that I couldn't uh I never got into. Just didn't, <laughs> I didn't I didn't like the uh the premise. The, yeah, that level of the penal system or like the uh the, the, the preamp the preamble to the penal the New York penal system. It took place in New York, I think, right? Yeah, yeah. They're like, how about this for a premise for a show? So yeah. it's the court at night. You guys want to, and every single episode started with Harry Anderson uh, banging the gavel on a couple prostitutes and like sending them out with a fine. So the show was, it was just basically taxing sex workers. Yeah, pretty much. Or they, they were like definitely uh, the, the folly. And he right, was like right. a vaudevillian like magic act, I think. Harry Anderson or Henderson, what was it, whatever his name, not Harry. Yeah, Anderson. Harry Anderson was Harry a Anderson, was a uh, stand-up comedian and a magician, like a prop comic. Wow, like a, yeah. a, a, a magic, a magic, a hybrid. A hybrid. Usually, double, you don't have a, a lot of threat. Right, right. <laughs> well, I think stand-up and magic are kind of um, at opposite ends of entertainment, where like magic is about uh, creating an illusion, like mm. hiding something. And stand-up right. is people uh, attempting to convey a universal truth with their words, or at least their universal truths. That's that's right. I mean, right. it's all it's all still an illusion, but absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> one man's opinion. Right, True. right. So, but you're not trying to fool people with like a gotcha, like haha, dazzle them nope. with stand-up in the same way you are with magic. I feel like it'd be very difficult. To, uh, um, to do both. Yep. Another thing, if you're if you're our age, I guess it's like it's if you grew up in our era, I feel like it's hard. Like to st- to this day, whenever I hear the term Libya or Libyan, I automatically it's, it just feels like a bad word to me because right. of you know the political climate back then. They were just basically bad guys or Soviet. You know the same. It, it, they they uh, they instill the same. They evoke the same emotion and and, and gut feeling as bad. And it's so funny that uh, the Libyans are the people that were seen as the, the 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 boogeymen of the Middle East at that time. Yeah, because they are they turned out to be the most benign mm-hmm. of uh, the the sort of the any characters in the Middle East. Like right now, there's wars in Syria. We think of, I think of Bashar al-Assad as a dictator who's got you know a bone uh, an axe to grind with the U.S. Right. or Saddam Hussein, who was operating at the same time, where Gaddafi was just like, he, I feel like he was a puppet that we propped up and put in. Sure. You know? And then when we decided to take him out, it, it really, it was a straw man. He definitely had a lot of Western swag to him. That's for sure. (laughs) I mean, he knew how to dress. He did. Little Rick Jamesy. (laughs) I think if I was... (laughs) I wonder if he was influenced by funk album covers. I don't, I'm sure he was. <laughs> I, I love the delve into these like uh, sort of, you know, infamous dictators in history and how much, like what, like what aspects of pop culture they loved, you know? Like Saddam Hussein's favorite film trilogy was The Godfather, which is hilarious to me. 
Um, but it makes I wonder if you sense. like part three the best because I'm sure I, he thought I, it was misunderstood. <laughs> part, part three is uh, Loki, my favorite Godfather at this point. That's so funny. So, so many controversial takes. Yeah. Well, the, the uh, helicopter uh, massacre in that movie is better than anything shot in the other ones. Right. And, uh, and I, I, I like how they tied it in with the, uh, with the Vatican. That's true. What was the name of the company again? Immobileri. Right, right. That, that, that's but, where they, uh, <laughs> the, spawning the title of Raekwon's uh, second album, Immobileri. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which I think I listened to before I saw Godfather 3. Mm. <laughs> so at first I thought that that was just a word that Raekwon made up. Oh, it's definitely not a real word. <laughs> But that's for right. sure. I remember Googling, but, or not Googling it, <laughs> finding out if it was a real word in the dictionary when I saw the album come out. And I think it was like 97, 98, maybe. <laughs> but um, the, the fact that he referenced Godfather 3 <laughs> of all the movies, amazing. And also, uh, when it comes to Godfather 3 uh, and its tie into The Sopranos. Oh, shit. Sill, whenever they ask Sill to uh, do an impression of Al Pacino, he always does him from Godfather 3. Is it always goes, the same way? He's like, just when, just when I thought I was out, they pulled uh, me back in. Gabe, I have to run. I just didn't realize that my package is delivered and I can't have the groceries sitting out there. Give me one <laughs> I'm second. Gonna I'm going to pause yeah, uh, yeah, the pause recording. Cool. All right. All right. And we're back. So, uh, well, let's, let's hop into this uh, movie a little bit. Let's go back to 1985, into the film, into this world of aerobics, reckless skateboarding. Um, looking other girls up and down when you're with your girlfriend mm -hmm. and uh and he'll, and just let's just go back to hill valley which is a small town in california right where we meet marty mcfly mm -hmm. and uh back mm -hmm. to the future part one i'm, I'm actually going to read the wikipedia synopsis of this because it's short and sweet in the night, it's a in this 1980s sci-fi classic, small-town California teen Marty McFly, played by Michael J. Fox, is thrown back into the 50s when an experiment by his eccentric scientist friend Doc Brown, played by Christopher Lloyd, goes awry. Traveling through time in a modified DeLorean car, Marty encounters young versions of his parents and must make sure that they fall in love or he'll cease to exist. Even more dauntingly. Marty has to return to his own time and save the life of Doc Brown. There it is. There it is. That's the story. That is it. Uh, the first thing we do is we're hanging out in, in Hill Valley. All right. Seems like a sweet place. You brought up like, it, it sounds like a place where white people live. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that have to make up their own problems. Yep. <laughs> right yeah it's uh th well that's that's how i you know when i first saw this uh the the weirdest thing right off the bat is that marty mcfly breaks into his scientist friend's house mm -hmm. in the morning doc brown is nowhere to be found and marty just rifles through the place and uh turns on this mega amp in the house and it proceeds to destroy the amp which made me think Marty is the dumbest musician on the face of the earth. Like who that who who plays electric guitar and doesn't know how to turn on an amp safely? Uh, I think he was dealing with too much of an amp at that point. You think there was just too much raw power? There was too much raw power in that thing. And uh, this was a time where if you wanted to be cool, you needed to have a guitar. 
Mm-hmm. Like now you can be a DJ or you can just have like, um, just have a laptop that makes noises. It's true. Some people make garage band. Doing that. Pro tools. Pro tools. SoundCloud rap. That's right. If this movie was made today, Marty McFly would be a SoundCloud rapper with the Takashi 6ix9ine haircut. <laughs> Just Skittles dreadlocks. Ay. Good God, uh, yeah. I, when I first, like, uh, watching this again, walking into that opening scene, the question I had was, why is Marty hanging out with Doc Brown? Who knows? Like, I mean, I... what? <laughs> That's a, that's a good question. I just never found myself asking. I uh, never asking myself. I, I don't know, but I mean, I'm glad that you did. <laughs> like, who, what are these multi generational like buddy team ups? You know, when you were when you were a 17 year old, did you look for eccentric 65 uh, year old scientists? No. To go bother? Were there any adults that you just knocked on their door before school and like entered their house? No, I don't think that's legal. <laughs> Are socially acceptable anywhere except for hill hill valley which by the way is another trope that we covered uh so many times in the 80s of this sort of like urban small gated community living which they were really pushing hard back then um mm-hmm. and now we're seeing uh, a, a city renaissance oh we were <laughs> at one point up until a few months ago a big city urban renaissance yeah we see uh so small town america uh, Marty is allowed to skateboard recklessly without a um, without a helmet on on mm-hmm. his way to school. This is something else interesting. There's a lot of just like moments where the logic of the film falls apart. Uh, one of them sure. is that when uh, well, <laughs> obviously it's a movie about time travel, but <laughs> but sure. just narrative structure wise, Marty shows up at Doc's house before school, and then he hears on the phone that uh, Doc's uh, clock is 20 minutes fast. Mm-hmm. Or 20 minutes slow. And just, so that's yeah. Marty realizes that he's late for school. But like, how long was he in, the, in this apartment? He, he would, that meant he would have have been running late when he showed up to Doc Brown's house. Right. You know what I mean? Like, right. <laughs> like he's, on, he's already on his commute and he must be running 20 minutes late already. There's a lot of there. lapses, Gabe, I think in this one, but <laughs> that's definitely one of them. I mean, that's the one thing that was right after that. I was like, I can't watch the rest of this movie. You've, so you've many, lost me already. <laughs> so many silly little things. Like, why doesn't he this this Freudian minefield that they created with him and his mother? Uh, why doesn't he just say, "I'm not interested" right off the bat? And just like they make for this awkward sexual tension where they're just they're needing to be, you know? Right. He could be a hard, he could hard pass Kerber immediately. immediately. Yeah. <laughs> right. If it was 1995, he would have uh, pulled the. The, you know, a different card. Uh, right. So it's uh, it, that, that part was that that aspect was silly. Just some completely unnecessary, gross, weird sexual tension. I mean, what, think about the guy who wrote this, and he's at home with his, you know, wife or girlfriend or whoever, yeah. and he's like, "Yeah, so I'm writing this story where this guy goes back in time, and like his wife keeps trying, or his his mother keeps trying to bang him." Yeah. <laughs> and it's like. What what psychosexual demons are you working out with this script, my man? Right. Um, you know, <laughs> oddly enough, they, they they had 44 different rewrites to this before it got finalized. Wow. So clearly some people had some issues. And, and yet they missed just glaring <laughs> incongruities. Uh, so, you know, no, nothing's perfect. Uh, and, you know, the, the head of the studio, Scheinberg, didn't really love the title. 
Um, so he had that aspect. He didn't. He, he said no one would watch a movie with uh, the word future in it, which is what like a bizarre stance to take. Um, That's interesting because I love the idea of Back to the Future. Yeah, the title. The title um, tells its own story. Right. I mean, uh, who? I think reverse time travel only appeals to like a very specific demographic of human history or human human nature in general. To like either white supremacists. <laughs> or like you know, colonialist imperial colonialist imperialism. Like that's like who else does that? Who else would want to go back? Not a large it's, swath of humanity would like to go back in time. Well, this feels like a perfect movie for the eighties. This came out in eighty five, and Ronald right. Reagan had been in power for what three, four, four full years. This was actually his and, second term, I think, technically, right? Because he was elected right, in eighty. So this is like this is peak peak Reagan. Mm-hmm. And Reagan's whole thing was make America great again, right? He was the first MAGA president. Yeah. He yeah. Um, was hearkening back to this time where men could be men and family values uh, and sort of white supremacy were the norm. You know, he wanted us to go back to this nostalgic time after like a, a raucous 60s and 70s. And so this is kind of perfect. And like you brought up white supremacy, uh, as what the fantasy is and for 80s pop culture the 50s was hot mm-hmm. you know this this film is the johnny rockets movie yeah definitely like the is. same impulse yeah the same impulse that would make that restaurant popular is what made this movie popular that 1950s nostalgia absolutely yeah let's keep it simple but like on that and that as a kid that's what i think of is like this is a simpler time and then you as an adult brought up all of these sort of subterranean um <laughs> issues right. you know like and and i saw them this time uh a lot more too like this is uh the plutonium the yeah. atomic energy that to me is it's such a big deal yeah i've have never <laughs> had this much free time on my hands uh i've never been unemployed <laughs> right. for, for longer than like a week or two so yeah. uh, i've had a lot of time to read <laughs> the past couple couple of months, uh, and it's I'm leaning towards reading more political stuff because it's uh, it's nauseating. But yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm looking at it through through uh, through pandemic eyes. Yo, my man's read the people's history of uh, the people's history of the United States. No, just mostly uh, the the Independent or Atlantic articles on how how, how fucked our country is. Yeah, uh, I know. When this first started, uh, I my impression. Uh, talking to you on the phone was that this felt like almost like an annoying snow day or it would be done in a week. Right. And I, and I think I was on the grimmer end of that. Just like, Oh, we're, we're going to be locked in here for like 18 months, man. Yeah. I mean, it could be quite a bit. I was optimistic in the beginning uh, (laughs) because I had to be, because then I was still, I still had a job before I was furloughed before I got my HR email. Uh, and then yeah. uh yeah and then it kind of dawned on me I'm like oh well fuck it uh, like once it actually happened i was like yeah then just uh, shut it down for good shut the whole thing down but <laughs> you know it is what it is um, but uh, back to your point i mean i think that's what kind of made it uh such a huge hit like a cross-generational hit because it appealed to young younger kids due to the casting and then you know the nostalgia hit a lot of different uh, age groups yeah and and but let's let's uh look at marty as a character mm-hmm. in the 80s this guy um one his he's i think a he's a terrible musician sure. um b he's technically bad at performing music because he doesn't know how to make it a comfortable uh, volume mm-hmm. for his audience 
It's a big, anytime it's a big, he, <laughs> it's a big issue for people. Anytime he plays, he's hurting people's ears. Yeah. Because he's a, you know, a brash 1985 American. He likes things loud. <laughs> he, he needs, he needs that, that monster energy drink vibe. That jolt, <laughs> jolt cola. Yeah. And um, yeah, uh, and Marty, Marty's family, right? The, his dad is an idiot who laughs at black and white television shows from the yeah, 50s. Yeah, just a, a weak man. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's, he seems like learning impaired. He does. When we bit. first see him. And uh, his brother is a McDonald's employee. Mm-hmm. Or no shame. Derivative. Yeah, no, none at all. You know, not knocking that at all, man. We need essential workers. Mm-hmm. But I think this movie plays that as that he's low status. It's true. Or just, I mean, he's a, he's a high school, it's a high school job. I mean, who had high status jobs in high school? The two didn't work in the, fa- in the quick food service industry at one point in life. You know? And uh, his, his sister's never had a date. You worked at Johnny Rockets at one point, right? Loved it. At a Formative. College. Man, that seems <laughs> Dude, like John- a PTSD situation. I learned so much from that job. Right. I can imagine. Yeah. How not, how not what, what a bad business model looks like. Well, you know, sometimes people would, they'd walk in and they'd, they'd, they'd put like a $20 bill on the table and they'd say, this is how much I'm paying, including tip. And then, so I would figure out what I could get them for free that I wouldn't have to put in the computer. And the more stuff I gave them, the big, uh, but the less money I charged them, the right, bigger my tip would be. I'm sure right. that this is a crime in uh, that really frowned upon in legitimate restaurants, but fuck Johnny Rockets. Who cares? Yeah, fuck them. Uh, you also learn how to make ninety percent of your uh, clientele uncomfortable through the uh, through the art of song and dance. <laughs> well, the they're the situation. ones that request YMCA. It's, so ridiculous, dude. Yeah. It's how I mean, I'm uncomfortable with singing in general, and people singing or performing uh, dance or any kind of musical <laughs> theater aspect to anything. It's just not for me. But I never that made me uh, wildly uncomfortable. The one time you know, I didn't we, see it. We didn't have to do it very much. Um, mm-hmm. Johnny Rockets had like a really interesting demographic of people that worked there. Half of the staff was um, black teenagers who happened to be gay from mm-hmm. public schools. Mm-hmm. And that, so this was like a safe haven for that community. And then the other half was um, interns on Capitol Hill, right. white interns that could not afford yeah. to live without having a second job. So, so like girls, yeah. Both of their first paying gigs. I mean, the, the you know the kids that are performing are getting paid to perform before they graduate from Duke Ellington two years later. Exactly, and then like um, white ladies that were working for Al Gore were <laughs> during the making, day were yeah, making fourteen dollars an hour. Were were uh, slinging malted vanilla milkshakes at night. Good, and that again teaches then, everyone a lesson. <laughs> everyone should work in the service industry at one point. It humbles you. And, it's a uh, crash course can, in humility. Yeah, man. I think it's I think it's a great job to have. Everybody should be a waiter. You're right. Well, uh, one year. Yeah. One year of your life. <laughs> National service. A friend of mine <laughs> came up with that theory and I was like, yeah, that's a fantastic idea. Sure. It's just there'd like be, how Israelis be... go and become snipers and kill Palestinians for sure. a year. A... We have to. We... That was <laughs> we a hard, to... hard right you just took there. <laughs> well, um, we have to sling McDoubles. Right. <laughs> There'd be so many less Karens if we did that though. You know? That's true, man. Nobody would speak to a manager. No. No one would. No one would have the balls. 
so yeah, I, I don't know, man. So Marty's family is they're just hilariously bleak. You know, his his uncle is a uh, <laughs> is always in jail. Uh, we meet Leah Thompson, and she is drinking at dinner, uh, like just a a light re- representation of alcoholism in the family. Mm. And she also uh, she she's a prude, so she's an old alcoholic prude, right? Who is uh, doesn't want her kids to talk about sex. That's true. So, yeah, it's it's a. Uh, no surprise that Marty has turned out to be a guy with no self-confidence. I feel like he doesn't have, uh, it, I mean, I didn't see him. I didn't find him to be lacking self-confidence. Um, well, that's the thing about um, Michael J. Fox. He's such a good actor. And Marty McFly is both those things at the same time. He's incredibly, he's heroic and confident. But mm-hmm. um, whenever Jennifer's girlfriend tells him to like submit a tape to try to, um, you know, get his band signed, he's like, I don't know if I can handle the rejection. Well, that's his dad talking, but it's also every high school kid on earth for the most part. Yeah, yeah. You know? Nobody uh, nobody was wearing a shirt with the mantra, shoot your shot, yet. I think if he was any more confident, he would be very unlikable. <laughs> yes. That's, yeah, this was also the beginning of Michael Jordan's career, so yeah. Uh, self, <laughs> self-branding was about to take off. Um, Doc Brown was the mm-hmm. original Kramer. <laughs> he, he, he sure was. <laughs> Definitely the inspiration for that character. Uh, and uh, I think he's a bad scientist. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, he invented sure he... time travel, Gabe. So <laughs> I don't know. Seemed like he was doing he's, okay. He's uh, uh, I think okay. Here, here's the t- when I realized that I thought he was a bad scientist was when he's standing in the Twin Pines parking lot with Marty, and he says, and the, he has the DeLorean um, speeding towards him, and it hits 88 miles per hour right before the moment of impact. Mm. And then there's the flames that go between their legs. Right. And Doc, Doc Brown, his emotional response to the car disappearing is surprise and wonder. But if you are experimenting in a way that might get you killed, mm. like his only response at that point should have been utter, complete confidence. Yeah. Like, it's kind of like putting a gun to your head and clicking the trigger and then going, oh, it didn't work. Yeah, it like, definitely would have warranted an elaborate uh, touchdown dance. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anyway, I just think he's reckless because he experiments on himself and his friends without knowing. I mean, it'd be reckless, sure. Uh, smart, uh, yes. It's free. <laughs> free, uh, free testing. We could use a lot more of that. Are there really scientists like this? No. No. No, nobody no, you, does science you, pro bono. <laughs> right. You know, I don't think a scientist really works alone. They, they, you work for a big research lab or a military company. Yeah, he's basically like, uh, he's like Kaczynski level, uh, sort of on his own, operates autonomously. But then he, th- you know, he's, you know, he has a, if a 14 year old, I don't, how old is Marty? Does it say 17, 17? That's right. So just on the yeah. cusp. I feel he like can drive to know. Sure. Yeah, that's true. Um, but nobody really does science by themselves. I think this was a bad representation of what, uh, what it means to be a scientist. If you're mm-hmm. a kid, you know, and you watch this, uh, you, you can't live that life. You can't be like doc Brown. It's true. It's, it's illegal. It's illegal. Mm-hmm. 
it's a, it's illegal can't ex- to can't experiment on minors. <laughs> well, well, Epstein call back <laughs> or dogs or yeah, or animals. I thought that was the one thing I noticed. I was like, that's uh, there's so many little weird things that just wouldn't fly anymore. I was like, you're going to send Einstein back in time by himself unsupervised. Unreal. That poor dog. Eps- uh, I keep calling him Epstein Einstein. <laughs> oh, that's so yeah. funny. Um, so, so you still, I mean, you know, I have no dog in this fight. So how do you, you feel like that it, it holds up still to this day? Like, do you still feel like. Yeah. Okay. So things I think still really work with this movie are how fast it moves. Right. Uh, there wasn't a single moment. I, yeah, I didn't, I didn't feel bored at mm-hmm. all during the film. And I did find that people's uh, acting uh, held up. So like Leah Thompson as his mm-hmm. mom, both old and young uh, was was really good and really funny. I liked her as like old and alcoholic and then mm-hmm. young and um, sexually adventurous. Right. And uh, Crispin Glover like is Crispin just Glover. an underappreciated actor. Yes, so yeah. George McFly, he was probably the coolest person on set. Mm-hmm. Like I think in real life, this motherfucker was cool. Sure. And as a character to just have that, that weird haircut, dress like that and write right. sci-fi books makes him awesome. Like that's a guy <laughs> I would have hung out with in high school, but uh, he plays so broadly comedic and spastic. Like his physical, the physicality of his humor is excellent. Yeah. And he's always in, you know, this is a very uh, uh, not typical role for him. Uh, he plays a lot of very fringish characters and in very obscure films and always kind of like a, he just has a strange uh, vibe in general, but he's been in a lot of cool movies as well. Uh, yeah, this just, feels like the most mainstream movie he's been in. Yeah, by far. I think his career kind of shifted after doing something this size. I think it gave him some freedom. He opened, his, he started his own production company and uh, he's a musician. He's just like, a, you know, a, a New York born, LA raised artist. So yeah, yeah, I like Crispin Glover, River's Edge. Awesome movie. Um, what also else held up? Oh, say that again? I was just saying he was also in What's Eating Gilbert Grape as well. Oh, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. He's, uh, so, so I really like that about the movie. Crispin Glover, Leah Thompson. Um, yeah. I also loved uh, Christopher Lloyd's performance as well. He's great. So acting-wise, mm-hmm. these characters were all great. Um, the aesthetics of the movie are also fantastic, like the clothing design. Um, all the like yeah. button-up shirts that they wore in the 50s were awesome. Yeah, they did a good job. I I, I like the clothing and uh, I thought that the musical score was good and the the, uh, special effects all held up. Yeah, the uh, the special effects won an Oscar. Best effects in uh, editing, actually, is what they won an Oscar for this. So that's cool. I never would have pegged this for an Oscar winning film in in any respect. Not to to bash it, but it just, you know, doesn't seem like an Oscar movie. But uh, (laughs) it's, you know. They did well. Huey Lewis uh, appears, makes his little cameo in the beginning. He's the uh, judge for the Battle of the Bands. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. I didn't uh, didn't notice that. The soundtrack. Well, that's why I'm here, Gabe. (laughs) Um, Facial Um, facial recognition. But but there are things that kind of, you know, that I I think are are trash. Like the, the end of the movie where Marty's family is all successful now. It's like, yeah, they might be doing better, but I don't think I'd like them as people. But doesn't that spawn the sequel? <laughs> like something shifted? Well, we're going to, yeah, we, we have to watch the sequel because that is the Empire Strikes Back. 
right. of the series. Yeah, I mean, we should obviously do that next. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, because, you know, now that I, I had to watch this one, I feel like I'm going to watch the second one. And then I saw that Uncut Gems was available on Netflix today, and I was like, man, why didn't we do Uncut Gems? Oh, we'll do Uncut Gems. That's sure. no problem. Yeah. Um, yeah, so Pee-wee's and Back to the Future 2. I mean, I wouldn't mind doing Back to the Future 2 next, but we don't need to discuss that now, but... <laughs> we can we can, we can we're gonna have it that. hey you guys like to see what's behind the curtain this is yeah, how right? the, this is, this is the how sausage, sausage is made yeah, there you go the vegan right. sausage is made um, um yeah i mean i'm glad i watched it i mean i've seen this movie there's no like you know when i said i haven't seen it i never saw it let's say cover to cover um but it, you can't grow up when we when i grew up uh in america and not i've seen piece bits and pieces of this movie i mean there's it, there's a good chance that i'd seen it in, in some aspect in its entirety but never chronologically i guess in order um but uh, i mean i've definitely seen pieces i remember scenes and uh i don't really know much about the sequels certainly didn't see them so that'll be interesting um, so uh some some things about this movie that uh where i see the fangs where i see the the claws a little bit mm-hmm. more is when he comes back when marty makes it back into um the the present into 1985 mm-hmm. uh in downtown I notice how terrible um, downtown 1980s Hill Valley is because the clock tower at first we're like, okay, the clock tower doesn't work fine, but uh, he, there's a porno theater and the other movie theater has been turned into an evangelical um, like house of worship. And then there's homeless people sleeping uh, on the uh, benches. Yeah. And all of this is right next to his uh, public high school. Right. So this like idyllic 1950s downtown has actually become a slum. It's getting and, there, yeah. And maybe it was all it was a slum at the beginning of the movie too, maybe. But but I guess there is some social commentary about how the present is shitty. Yeah. And the mall, right? Like so. Maybe it's because all of the business that was downtown is now at the Twin uh, Pines Mall, which didn't exist in the 1950s. True. Um, by the way, I think the 80s were the most uh, shameless when it came to uh, corporate sponsorship and promotion and advertising. Because uh, I, 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 I remember like, very vividly so many different films. I mean, this one was perfect. The first thing you see, you know, essentially, other than Doc's house, is a Burger King. And then a Toys R Us within seconds. So they were, you know, definitely had a target demographic <laughs> for this film. Uh, but there's all kinds of little plugs here and there um, that are just, you know, just that plugs. But the, I think the 80s were, I mean, obviously that's like the uh, sort of the apex of capitalism at that point, 85, Reagan's second term. Um, I don't think you see it as much or as uh, blatantly as you do uh, back then. It's a little more subtle now, I think, product placement. You know, you right. gotta, if you got to get funding, more... Gabe. <laughs> well, I think, I think we're noticing a lot of the product placement because we're no longer of the demographic that's going to buy those things. Mm-hmm. So it's like we're, you know, when you're a fish swimming in the water, you don't see the water. You don't think about it. It's true. But now that we're like a little bit, we have a distance from it. It's like, right. oh, look at, look at how they're plugging the Walkman. Yeah. Look at how they're plugging the sneakers. Right. You know? Um, I mean, again, you know, based on when I grew up, uh, you could definitely ask me now if I wanted to go to Toys R Us, even if it still existed. I'm not even sure if it does anymore. And I would still get kind of excited. And I would, I would honestly consider 
going. <laughs> Your it, pupils it just, would dilate. It has that play. It has that holds that place in my uh, in my pocket, <laughs> my wallet. <laughs> um. Um, another something that's like you know doesn't hold up for me that's mm-hmm. kind of creepy is just the uh, Marty Marty McFly's like pickup artist angle, like how he's got to get his dad to uh, you know to capture his wife to like fuck his mom basically. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Even she that, <laughs> you know, just like trying to give George McFly tips, like ah, just you know, ask ask, ask her questions. Chicks yeah. like that. <laughs> Say something true. nice and poetic to her. So true. <laughs> uh, yeah, that whole little subplot was weird to me. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and then and then also the the uh, simulation of like, you know, what today would be considered rape <laughs> or attempted rape. Uh yeah. That he's <laughs> he's like I'm gonna act fresh with my mom, like. to get your dad to open the car door and punch you. Yeah. There's such a fine line between rape and attempted rape. It's kind of just the same thing, isn't it? Just failed, <laughs> failed attempt. Should be pretty much tried the exact same way, I'd imagine. Well, I mean, it just felt like an awkward thing to watch even as a little kid. Wasn't cool. Yeah, the, the weird sexual undertones all over this movie again. Yeah, the, the, the Freudian Oedipal mind, minefield, as I like to call it, bizarre. But you know, like as a kid, you wouldn't even really you know, even understand other than the fact that uh, sexual assault is bad, because you right. know, the the bad guy is, is perpetrating it. Well, but then it ends up as like a, like a social cuckold towards the end of the movie, <laughs> which I thought was yeah. fun. Um, and another thing that's weird is that mm. uh, Biff tries to sexually assault Lorraine, but in the future where George is successful, they keep Biff around. Yeah. As like a manservant. Shame. Public shaming. <laughs> basically a jester. Right. It's, it's like, well, you shot your shot. Yeah. And you weren't able to sexually assault my wife. So uh, we're just going to have you as our manservant and dress you up in this uh, weird jumpsuit. Mm. Have you bring in our mail and wax our car. You got to do what you got to do. Uh, I would have kept him around too. <laughs> If I were them, <laughs> the dominant species, uh, I thought that was good. I enjoyed that. You shot your shot and you missed. Now uh, go wash my car. You also tried to assault my wife in high school. You don't forget about that kind of stuff. Well, uh, I also, this is something I thought about this time watching it was that Doc Brown now knows that Marty is going to come back in time. The Doc Brown from the 50s knows that he's going to meet marty again mm-hmm. so that means that that's the reason that doc brown is friends with 17 year old marty like right. I, well, earlier i was like why why would they ever have a relationship and now i think i want to see the prequel where marty where uh, doc brown is just spying on george and lorraine throughout their courtship and he's like making sure that uh, they have a kid and then he's just showing up and being like, oh, is this your son? Is this Marty? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Do you mind if I babysit Marty? Like, it just kind of, you know, uh, grooms him. Playing with fire, but yes. Because <laughs> he's got to make sure that Marty stays alive 
and reaches the age of 17. It's true. To go back in time and tell the old doc. Yeah. When he's going to get shot by Libyans. Alter the past. It's a slippery slope. What a silly, silly thing to think about. (laughs) (laughs) But it's true. Yeah. Like imagine if you knew that somebody uh, that hasn't been, that was just born is going to be really important to you 17 years from now. Like the Messiah. Yeah. Like any of your friends just had a kid, you know? And right. You're like, okay, I got I to gotta watch your kid. You mind if I take care of your kid? Yeah, and they're like, what, what, why are you? Uh, all right, Sammy, I guess you can babysit. Yeah, because you're super uh, adamant about it. <laughs> Almost off-putting. <laughs> go ahead and not let you do that. Um, I'm, I'm curious to see, like, you know, now I'm genuinely curious for the sequel because there were so many people that wanted us to do number two first, but I feel like if we're going to do them, I'm glad we did number one so I could see what the fuck was going on. Not that I think that's, you know, imperative that I watch that one. I don't think, I don't know how much the story builds on itself, but it would be good to have some, some premise. Yeah. Um, I'm, thr- I'm thrilled that we're going to watch number two. Uh, yeah. So let's, uh, let's wrap this one up, man. This has been a good test run getting back in the saddle after two full months of quarring. Yeah. Um, I, I'm going to give this movie a, 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 what, out of 10? I'll give it an eight flex capacitors. Mm-hmm. You know, I think, it's a, I think it still holds up uh, for a lot of reasons, and I think it's cool to watch a young Michael J. Fox and all of the other performers in this gave, you know, performances that are iconic and um, worth studying. That's good. I, I expected an eight from you. I mean, for me, it's... Uh... I'm going to have to give it a, a six because I just don't, you know, it doesn't hold any nostalgic place in it. And all I can see is uh, <laughs> what, what I saw with uh, these eyes. Um, so I'm giving it uh, yeah, six, uh, <laughs> six mandatory minimums for Biff. Um, <laughs> is that guy should serve time. Um, yeah. yeah. You shouldn't be like a court order to be somebody's, uh, you know, jester <laughs> slash, uh, uh, and that actor, him. yeah, Aaron we didn't talk Boy. about Biff very much. We didn't talk about him, but uh, shout outs to Thomas F. Wilson for being one of the most iconic villains in uh, the trilogy. It is, yeah, he definitely had some staying power. People still quote him, you know, make yeah. like a tree and get out of here. <laughs> Smart. I All right. like that line. <laughs> hey, Sam, Yo. Uh, I got to go. Alrighty. Let's do this again Absolutely. pretty soon. Uh, once again, this has been Eat, Pray, Judge. And uh, come back next week. We'll have another episode for you. Um, And as always, did I already say my name? Gabe Pacheco. Find me on Twitter at Gabe underscore Pacheco. Yep. We're also on a new uh, distribution network right now, too. We're going to shout out Anchor FM. uh, And let let us know your feedback. If you're getting the same episodes and everything's going well, if you have any issues, let us know on our uh, Instagram page, at 8PrayJudge, or Facebook. Same same name, different, uh, different data mining source yeah all right peace all right cool